Hi, everyone. This is Mark the Shark Retorto from the Mark the Shark MMA Show. You are about to listen to the 1-5 cast with Will Chase. Thanks for taking the time to check out the 1-5 cast, where our episodes are fast on your time and filled with substance. Subscribe to our cast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Pocket Casts. Follow us on Instagram at The15Cast and follow our host, Will Chase, at DubChase on Instagram. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the show. My guest today is attorney Ali Shakur. He is a defense attorney who practices law in Tampa, Florida. He also occasionally teaches college courses and he's also an active member in his community as he is a volunteer mentor and he has provided pro bono work for the ACLU. On occasion, he works with political activists. One of Dr. Shakur's newest accomplishments is the release of his first book for black men. And that book is titled For Black Men Trying to Survive and Thrive in America. This book contains broad and definitive concepts for black men to master in order to stay out of the criminal justice system. Once again, Dr. Shakur, thank you for your time, and welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me on, sir. I really appreciate it, the, uh, the opportunity to speak out. So now, in your book, your, your book, what was the inspiration for, for writing the book, Black Men Trying to Survive and Thrive in America? That's a good question. You know, like, after the 2016 election, you know, mm-hmm. I had a lot of things I wanted to get off my chest. I had gone through a lot of um, personal issues, like health problems and um, some professional issues when I was trying to help my family through a situation. And I just wanted to just start writing, you know. It just started happening organically. And mm-hmm. and um, it was kind of like I had an idea for a self-help book to try to help the brothers out there. And it kind of turned into part memoir also, you know. I started telling part of my own life story. And I'm using my life story to explain, like, the mistakes I've made, the things I the challenges that I've overcome to try to inspire other young men out there. So I totally understand. Now, growing up in, in the Midwest, what yeah. adversity? What are some adversity that you had to face and overcome as, as a black man? And, and the reason why I ask that question is just because, for me, as a black man, um, I've noticed that in my professional setting and jobs that I've had and, and that I've worked. Um, any, 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 for me, any white supervisor that I've had, any white male that I've had that was from the Midwest, it's just never worked out. Um, okay. That's just for me. But then the weird thing is, in, in supervisors that I've had from the Deep South, those are some of the coolest and most genuine people I just ever dealt with. But it's just something for me, in, in, in white men from the Midwest, I, I, at this point in my career professionally, if, if, if I go on an interview, and I meet who my immediate supervisor would be. And if he's from the Midwest, I would probably decline that job just because I don't want any parts of any white man from the Midwest unless we could be in a boxing ring or in a street fight. That's just me. That's just my <laughs> Wow, wow, okay. Yeah, that's just me and my experience. Yeah, I've generally had good experiences with Midwest people. You know, I mean, growing up in America, I've experienced racism. But um, as a child growing up in the 70s and 80s, I mean, it wasn't like growing up in like um, a deep south environment or even some inner cities, like some inner cities, like, you know, Boston, New York, you know, mm-hmm. like certain neighborhoods you can't go into because it's, there's so much racial and ethnic violence and, um, right. and tri- tribalism. In the Midwest, my mother did a great job making sure that we're in a very good school district. 
And even though we didn't make a lot of money and our, we're probably, based on demographics, one of the poorer families in that school district, my mother always wanted to make sure that we were in a, you know, a, a quality, i.e. white school district. So going to a school like um, Worthington, where I grew up, um, I didn't deal with too much, like, bullying or anything like that. It's more like, hey, can I touch your hair, you know? Um, <laughs> do, do black people have to wash their hair? You know, it's more like a mascot, kind of like what Malcolm talked about, um, the mascot section in his book, The Autobiography of Malcolm X. So, yeah, life-changing. But then as I got older, more black kids moved into the school district. Then there's more racial tensions. You know, you notice, you notice in life when, not all white people, obviously, but when white people who have issues with black people, it's mm-hmm. okay if there's like one or two families, you know. It's like, okay, we're all getting along. There's tolerance. But mm-hmm. when more black people move in, they feel more threatened. And that's when you start feeling and seeing more hostility. But nothing too bad in the Midwest. Just, just America. I mean, it's, it's always going to be racism in America, but right. You know, we had our fights and stuff, but you know, nothing that was um, too devastating. So now, is the current like you, you touched on when you when you mentioned you know the inspiration for your book and just kind of like the, the 2016 election that we know was robbed and given to, as I like to call them, Agent Orange. Um, right. You know, like like one thing that that I feel like has always taken place is the things that are happening now to people of color of this country. To me, this is nothing new under the sun. I think the difference now is we have smartphones with cameras on them and we're just recording it. But these right. are, I think these are things that that went on back in the '60s, the '40s, the '50s. So this this has gone on since the beginning of the night since the end of slavery. In the beginning of, you know, in the beginning of what I call modern day slavery. So these things going on are just, it's just captured now for us to see it. So my, my question is, um, for a, a black man or a black woman or just a person of color, when they're pulled over by a police officer, I always tell young brothers that, you know, your job and your objective needs to be to stay alive and live to see another day. So, what are some steps or precautions that we could take in our quest for surviving being pulled over by a police officer? Well, your advice is very good advice, you know, because when you're getting pulled over, especially if you think it's an unjustified stop, it could be enraging. But mm-hmm. being being calm and collective is what can ultimately save your life. You know, I would say if you're ever pulled over by the police, if the officer is still in their vehicle and you have time, I would I would put my ID and everything on the dashboard. So when the officer comes, you have your hands on the um, driving wheel, steering wheel, and you just tell the officer, sir, my, or, sir, ma'am, my ID is right there on the dashboard, you know. Otherwise, just no sudden movements. Um, officer comes, be respectful. If you don't want to say, sir, ma'am, just be respectful and be cool. And um, just say I'm reaching for my wallet. If you need to reach for your wallet or something, just articulate something like that. And, and, and it's sad to have to just explain something like this. And, this, and I know people hate hearing, like, hey, man, we shouldn't just have to, like, um, obey all the time and uh, like, like that justifies a murder or something of course it doesn't justify a murder but the point is to stay alive and you can be you can be deferential and try to follow the rules like Philando Castile and still get murdered in front of your child and, 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 in, front, and in front of your woman but if you the, the best way to stay alive is to try to be cool and not escalate anything yeah it, it, it's funny you say that I think you know just I think about you know when I one time when I was pulled over with uh, one of my best friends, um, 
I'll never forget, we were pulled over at night. We were, we were in this Hummer. And it was at night. And it was probably about maybe 11 o'clock at night. We were pulled over. And the state trooper, the state trooper officer, he came over to my friend's vehicle. And my friend, he actually taught me something in that moment of what to do when getting pulled over. He, and I'm like, what are you doing? He turned off his car. He threw his keys on the dashboard. And then he did what you said. He put his license and registration already on the dashboard so that the officer could see it. But then what I noticed in the rear view mirror was the other officer, who happened to be a brother, he had his gun drawn on the car. So at this point, I'm I'm scared. So I'm like, dude, this, this fool is really trigger happy. And it's like there's no need. I feel like there was no need for him to have his gun drawn on the car. We weren't trying to do anything. And what I said to my friend at that moment was, I said, listen, I said, be extremely careful when this guy comes into the car. Like, don't move anything. Just we need to just stay still and just whatever he says. Like this, this dude has. I was like, look up in the rearview mirror. I'm like, this dude has his gun drawn on this car right now. And if he does it, unfortunately, he's going to be justified, and we're going to be made to look out like villains. But by the grace of God, we made it through that, and you know, we're, we're both still alive today. Good. It could be terrifying. You know, but also, and I write about in my book, I've gotten huge breaks from police officers, from white male police officers, man, where, where they really could have had me hemmed up. But they mm-hmm. decided to get, like, give a young black man a break, you know, because there's a worried mom out there somewhere, or just, just to give somebody a break. So, I mean, there's some, you hear, like, the other side, I mean, the other side when I say that, I mean, like, the typical people who like to always defend everything law enforcement related, they like mm-hmm. to talk about, a, they like to talk about a few bad apples. But I mean, how many of the few and a few can cause a lot of damage and a lot of problems in the community? So I mean, I, I have no sympathy or, or need to apologize for like horrible cops. I and mean, in my chapter in my book, I call them demon cops, and it might be a controversial title, I like that in me, but I like but, that name. I mean, that came from when um when Michael Brown was murdered by that officer, and I understand like the hands up, don't shoot might have been a false narrative in a lot of ways. But that brother, <laughs> he, he should still be alive today. He got assassinated. And, I mean, he got murdered in the middle of the street. You know, he could have been stunned. He could have been, he could have been wounded and subdued. The kid grew, grew up in a society where, in a local community specifically, where it was, it was oppressively racist. The police officers were oppressive against the, the, the black people in the community. They were being disproportionately uh, fined and arrested. And people like Michael Brown, he had, he had a rage at that point. But I guess my point is the officer referred to him as a demon in his description of the incident. (laughs) Because throughout history, you often see um, white people refer to us as beasts or demons or, you know, thugs, you know, something to dehumanize us. So I wanted to turn that word around. Like, what about the demon cops who would just shoot an officer or shoot a young person in the street, black male or female, for no good reason at all, or choke them out with a stick? You know, just because you think you can, you know, just because you, you feel this innate need to try to control and destroy a person of color, you know, so, but obviously that's not all cops. There's just too many. And there's too many people, too many cops to sit by silently and allow their, their partners and their colleagues exactly. to be oppressive, you know. Yeah, it, it's, it, I mean, you're exactly, absolutely right. And, and it's just one of those things that I think about is, you know, it's, they look at us as animals and humans when the funny thing is, I know, I know the truth and, and, and I know the teachings of Noble Drew Ali. It's number one, it's our job to teach the uncivilized and we taught, we taught them how to walk on too when they were walking around the off wars in those caves when they came down from those mountains. We taught them and it's, and it's just crazy that 
those things don't get mentioned in school books or textbooks or anywhere in history. I know, man. And like, and some of that's controversial, man. I don't like, you know, I mean, I know exactly what you're saying, where you're coming from, but I just, I don't, I don't want in any way, like, um, imply or make it seem like, like, my race is superior to anybody's race. I think we're all right. really created equal, you know, and, and like, a white man got a lot of blood on their hands, and a lot of people got blood on their hands, and you go to any country in the world, man, you're gonna find ethnic oppression and stuff, you know. I, I love my white brothers and sisters. I just want them to help America do better, you know, and, um, after that 2016 election, at first it was like a kick in the face, like wow, you know, this is this devastating. It kind of hurt, like 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 when you have like that white friend that you thought was real cool and non-racist, mm-hmm. they say something racist and everybody seems kind of racist and it really hurts your feelings. Like how how dare you? Ouch! I didn't see that coming. When America elected Donald Trump, it was like wow, I didn't see that coming. I was like kind of naive about it, you know. It's like wow. I mean, I understand like after Obama, you might go back to a white man or a white conservative man, but. Right. That particular white conservative man, that guy, Donald Trump, it's like, right. wow, that hurt. It's like he's not even a conservative. He's, he's, yeah. he's beyond that. He's yes, well said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, and I think you, and I think you're absolutely right that, you know, it's. I, I think it's what you said that there that the I, I feel I've always said that the individuals who, you know, my my, my friends and colleagues that are white. You know, I, I try to tell them, like, look, you know, okay, you're telling me you're not racist and you're not with all that stuff, but the people who in your family who are and your friends who are, it's it's almost your responsibility to correct them and check them because that's right. the only way things are really going to change because right. they're never going to – I feel like it, it, it's hard for them to hear it when it's coming from us because they think it as that, that we are complaining and being ultra-sensitive, and that's not the case. Right. It's true. You know, it's true. You know, we need um our fellow our fellow white citizens to stand up. I mean, somebody had a sign at one of the protests a year or so ago saying, "Hold your racist white family or hold your racist family members accountable." And it's, it's a good point. You know, it's hard yeah. to have those tough discussions. You know, and and with our and within our black community, it's about like you know mental health or like the the, the gay cousin, the gay choir director. They know what they want to talk about. You know, we just need to be more open minded and inclusive in general as a society. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, I think that maybe one day things will get better. I'm not sure when that day is. But I, I think that everything that's going on, I think it's forcing people, the current state of America, I think that people are becoming more aware, more aware and staying a little bit more abreast to what's going on in politics and, and, and paying, I think, more attention to their local elections and, yeah. and paying attention to their state senators and state representatives. And I think what people are starting to realize is that as citizens of this country, we, we all we all have the power to hold our politicians accountable. And I think people are starting to realize that now. So I think now I think people are starting to vote for individuals that they feel that they can hold accountable. Right. Right. Get out and vote. I'm a big proponent of the right to vote. I mean, my, my grandfather was a local civil rights leader in Greenwood, Mississippi. He used to work with Medgar Evers. You know, wow. he, he, my family wound up in Ohio because the local white clan and the lo- local white races in general would terrorize my grandfather's family when my mom wow. was a little girl because he was trying to register black people to vote. And that's how we were part of the great migration. We went from Mississippi to Ohio. My granddad couldn't wow. get a teaching job anywhere in um, Mississippi, so he went to Ohio and had an industrial job at like a steel plant back when they had those kind of jobs. 
in Toledo, Ohio. Then he finally got a teaching job. But yeah, I guess to my point, man, I, I'm a big proponent of the right to vote. And Agent Orange, as you call him, we wouldn't be dealing with this if we got out and voted, and we got out and voted in an intelligent manner. A lot of people stayed home. A lot of people decided they didn't want to vote for Hillary because they tried to imply or act like she was just as bad as he was. It was that, that's what, that was always a false narrative. You know, I mean, a lot of people on the left let this let the movement down by by voting for a Jill Stein or staying home altogether. You got to vote for the most progressive candidate if you want progressive ideas. And sometimes that means eating your vegetables and just you know taking care of business. And, and I like that analogy, eating your vegetables and taking care of business. And I think it's one of those things where I think I, I don't know if you if you've been watching any of this. I call the uh, the, the clown show to an extent with the Democratic Party. We have all these people trying to go. It's like, no, identify these two people and get this thing and get on, get on top of it. But my, my issue with watching these Democratic debates is I feel like it's two things I'm not seeing from this party. Number one, the 67 million people that didn't vote, focus on that. You're not going to you're not going to get anyone who voted for this guy who's in office. You're not you're not going to convert them. So stop trying to do that. that that's not going to happen. You're not going to sway them. You're not going to change those minds. Focus on those people who didn't go to the polls. And I think the other thing that I just wanted to see from them is stop talking about what he's doing and tell me what you're going to do to fix it. Right. Tell me Good what point. you're going to do. That's what I want right. to do. Right. I feel like the only one that I'm hearing that from right now, I feel like the only two who are even kind of doing that for me right now where I'm like, okay, I like these two, and I think that would be the winning ticket, is I like Elizabeth Warren and Julian Castro. Elizabeth Warren, who's the other one, I'm sorry? Uh, Julian Castro. Oh, yes, 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 exactly, yeah. Castro doesn't seem like he's getting much traction, but you never know. It's still early, still very early. It is. And I, and, uh, I think part of what Castro was, I think what, what hurts him, unfortunately, is the last name. Uh, I think that some, in some people's ways, in some people's narrow-mindedness, um, when they hear the name Castro, they think of Cuba and they think of Fidel Castro. Right. And, and I think that that's what hurts him, unfortunately. That's a good point. But we had a post nine eleven president named Barack Hussein Obama. And early in early in the process people were like, He's not electable, I mean he's got a funny name, people are gonna think he's a terrorist, then the Reverend Wright thing happened, but organically, through raw charisma and the and then the ability to inspire people, he was easily elected two times, you know. Yeah. I mean, so I don't know who's gonna be, man. I'm a, I'm excited about Elizabeth Warren myself. But I and I think she can go head to head with Trump. I mean, I don't think Yes. He, she doesn't have the, the baggage of the Clintons, you know. No, and she does not. I'm always worried about misogynists who don't want to vote for a woman, but you also got to think about people who might be inspired to vote for women, like to your point earlier, trying to get out of, out to vote for a candidate based on being inspired by them. So I, I like Elizabeth Warren. We'll see. Yeah, that, that's why I, I, I really like her a lot. So now, I just before I let you go, just just one one last thing I, I have to ask you. Sure. Um, so I, sometimes I hear, you know, like on NPR, um, that, you know, sometimes that, it, like I've heard like something, it was maybe about a year ago, NPR was just saying how, um, the next wave, next generation, and, and people like baby boomers retiring, and then there's, uh, the millennials, and I forget the name for the generation after the millennials. But what they were saying is that, you know, there is going to be a need for, there's going to be a lot of job needs in, in healthcare. Now, I know a lot of times, and even for me, when I think of uh, when I think of like uh, people who work in law and, and and in law enforcement, you know, I just think of the basics. I just think of 
police officer, corrections officer, or attorney. And, and I think there's so many other jobs within that sector. But like I said, those are the three that I think of. And I think part of that is just due to my upbringing and, and just what I was exposed to. Right. But what, what advice would you give to any young person who is thinking about possibly, you know, possibly, you know, a potential career in law? In law, I would say make sure you have strong writing skills. And no matter what type of law you decide to ultimately get into, you want to be able to uh, communicate effectively, um, read and analyze documents or pleadings, and also be able to have your, your viewpoint readable and clearly understandable. So you want on strong reading skills. And there's always going to be crime, you know, unfortunately. And, and even though we're finally having some semblance of criminal justice reform, or at least some momentum for, for it on both sides of the aisle, you know, there's always going to be crime. So, you know, there's, there's always going to be a need for prosecutors and defense attorneys like myself. But in this computer age, I, mean, I don't know much about computers and technology, but this is forever. And it's only going to get, like, more <laughs> more technical, I mean, to, mm-hmm. to, for lack of a better word. So anybody that has, like, really solid computer skills, and you can apply that to a legal career, I think you can really have a nice, um, long career. And even, like, I'm not into video games, but I'm learning – I'm reading about people who are transferring like video game playing skills into other careers, you know, and maybe that could be applied to the law, you know, because you're dealing with tech technology and computers and, and, um, fake reality, you know, so, I mean, and also I'm very education oriented, my family's education oriented, but there's also like, there's other skills that can be applied just to, to try to make a living, you know, I mean, the schools need to do a better job of, of having like trade programs, you know, there's, I, one of my best friends passed away a couple of years ago, broke my heart, but his oldest son is um, a welder. He graduated from like high school, he got into a welding program, and you know, he found a good niche, he's a good kid, he's not going to be in any type of trouble, and he's going to make a lot of money as like a 19, 20 year old, so not everybody needs to go to school and get a whole bunch of debt, you know, I mean, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are talking about his free college, but that's not going to happen anytime soon, so school's a lot of debt. I needed to go to school because I needed to be a lawyer because I don't know how to fix things, and I didn't have that type of technological um, mindset, but not everybody needs to go to school to like to make a nice living and have a nice um a nice um chance in America to be happy and um be a strong man or a woman. I like that. It's much appreciated. So now, one last thing before I let you go: how can um how can uh, my listeners find a way? How can they find a way to purchase your book? I yeah, appreciate that. I mean, I did a, I did it through Amazon. The title is called For Black Men Trying to Survive and Thrive in America, A Defense Attorney's Advice and Life Experiences. And I already described like, why I wrote it and um, who I'm writing it for. I'm writing it for young black men. But anybody interested in the topic, honestly, you know, please um, get the book. You can find it on Amazon. Also, um, some wholesalers are selling it. I know Walmart's selling it. Um, a, a website called BMI. Um, so you can find it on paperback or also on um, Kindle. And um, you can follow me on Twitter. I don't, have, I don't have much of a following, you know. I'm not a celebrity. I'm just, I'm just a local guy that practices law and you know tries to help 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 you know, my local community. But you can find me on Twitter at, at Shakur74. Shakur is spelled S H A K O O R 74. And I'm also on Facebook with my own Ohio State twi- sweatshirt and um hat. But um, yeah, just I'm re- just anybody wants to read the book. I mean, I'm just trying to inspire young black men to. I still love this country despite all of its flaws, and I want everybody out there, all these young brothers, to love their country too and just be the best man they can be and survive and thrive in the, in the face of adversity.
Thank you so much for your time today. It is much appreciated. Thank you. Hey, I appreciate the opportunity, brother. You take care. You too. Once again, thank you for tuning in to this episode. Please don't forget to subscribe to our cast that's available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Pocket Casts. Also, give us a follow on Instagram at the 15 cast and follow our host, Will Chase, at dubchase on Instagram.